Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, uh, welcome back to part two of Homo Sapiens is the name of the podcast. If you haven't heard part one, go and listen to it on the feed. If you have, then here's part two. And then what about your childhood? So um, you grew up in Yorkshire. Whereabouts were you? I grew up in a market town called Bingley, which people might not know as well now that the Bradford and Bingley Building Society has kind of gone. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it was it was a funny one. It was very suburban. I think I had the sort of the same kind of childhood that I think a lot of adolescents have, which is I wasn't in a major city, but nor was I in a little twee village. Mm. You know, we had we had a supermarket. There was there was a pizza hut which has since gone. So everybody worked. Every teenager in Bingley did their inevitable stint at Pizza Hut. Including yourself? Actually not. So I went the other way. I went to Fish and Chip Shop. So I went, oh. I went the, the other way and then did some temping at the aforementioned Bradford and Bingley. Um, you know, I've, and I've said before, I'm very glad I grew up in the North. I think it does give you a lovely grounding, a lovely perspective when you eventually move south and work in the media. Yeah. Um, it just give, it gives you an amazing thick skin. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was the 80s. What can I say? Yeah. But also, does it give you a good bullshit detector? I, th- I think so. I think, you know, I moved. So I went to university in Wales and I came straight mm. from Wales to Brighton, where I live now. And. And it's very hard to sort of, there is just this sort of genuine, quite a fundamental difference, fundamental difference between people who are Southern and were raised in the South. But could I tell you what that difference is? Please. No, I don't think I could. I don't, oh, I don't think I, I see, can quite I put see. my finger on it. But I think there is just this a, a sort of a general sort of down to earthness mm-hmm. and possibly a slight pessimism, dare I say it as well, which you know, there wasn't much chance of me, age 16, doing my work experience at The Guardian. You know, that wasn't going to happen, was it? And yet had I grown up in, like, Isha or Godolming or something, then I probably could have commuted into work with my parents and done some nice work experience at, like, Tiger Aspect or something. And that just obviously wasn't an option, you know? And, And I think... That's, you know, something, again, that's one of those big questions, which is how do we, how do we look for talent in the north of England and Scotland and Northern Ireland? And how do we do that? Because there's so much of it. And and what about sort of the queers? Uh, Do you think there's a a, a sort of regional difference as well up and down the country? 
I'm not sure. I mean, certainly, I think you can. You have a much messier night out in the north, and you don't need to take a jacket. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you wouldn't see a jacket in Newcastle, would you? But um, <laughs> I, you know, I feel it's, it was. It's long been a joke that the graduating class of 1999, we were clearly a government experiment because half <laughs> of my sixth form were queer in some way, like wow. quite quite extraordinary, and none of us were out in school. But we all knew in that sort of strange Esperanto gaydar kind yes. of way, we were all like, ah, I, I recognize your innate difference. Yes. You know, and you could tell, you know, we formed our own society and it was the group of kids who didn't do PE yeah, because we yeah, all, of yeah, course, had hilarious. phantom injuries, like the bad backs and bad necks and just the, yes. the weekly period that a lot of the people <laughs> who had periods had. And so there would be a group of queer kids sat in the reception of the sports hall. And that was kind of like a, basically an LGBTQ society I and sure enough all those kids who didn't engage with PE went on to be LGBTQ including a lot of my really good friends and so I got so lucky so lucky that when I was about 15-16 years old I found my tribe which is Mm -hmm. why all my novels are about people finding their tribe because it did really change the trajectory of my life and Mm. and sometimes I just wonder what would have happened if I didn't have that kind of affirmation from people telling me that I wasn't a freak, that I was Mm. actually just a ball of glorious potential and that as soon as I got out of Bingley, I could be whoever I wanted to be. Mm. And I really did. You know, I moved to university and within a week I had reinvented myself as Cher from Clueless, you know, because that's what you can do when you go to university. You get this total fresh start. And I left behind a lot of baggage when I left Bingley. I I could be someone new. Mm. And then... And strangely, I think it was later that I sort of reclaimed some of that baggage. Later when I was kind of, I was like happier to kind of say, well, actually, yeah, I come from a really working class background. Like my mum had no money. And yes, I'm from the North, which is something that I used to try and kind of play down. And, and you know, it's it's kind of, you know, it's interesting that maybe that's what your, your 20s are for, is for truly sort of actualizing yourself in your 30s. Yes, it's always that thing of like, you kind of got to go away to come back, haven't you? And that's mm-hmm. why people often move home in, in late, a bit later in life and all of that is uh, you're trying to, you're trying on different things for size and working out what is you. So the bits of baggage that you thought you'd want to put back on was actually just being honest about bits of your, your Yeah, life. so I did, I did, you know, I definitely, definitely when I got to university, I was surrounded by people who came from much more affluent backgrounds. Yeah. You know, I wasn't very forthcoming about the fact that my first house was a council house. I used to pretend I was much better travelled. You know, I used to say, oh yeah, yeah I've been to Disneyland. I haven't, my, we've been to Blackpool. You know, I've been to yeah, the Pleasure yeah. Beach. Yeah. And so I, I felt I would be judged if I was honest about my background. It's so funny because I did lie. Let's, I mean, let's be honest. I did just make shit up about myself. You know, I... Yeah. I pretended that I'd had this boyfriend all through school that I hadn't. I was, Mm. when I got to university, I was very inexperienced, kind Mm. of. I wanted to be someone else, you know. I I left school with basically no self-esteem whatsoever. And moving away to Wales was an opportunity to just, yeah, sort of be who I felt like I was on the inside. And, you know, that was obviously the first step of a much longer process, which eventually ended with me realizing that the person I was on the inside was female and always Mm. had been. Um, 
I see now that it kind of, it was a process and, and actually it, the process itself is really, it's just being honest. So mm. I think perhaps possibly I went in the wrong direction and actually what I should have done is kind of embraced really the most fundamental thing about myself, which is my gender. And, and up, up until that point, everything else was a bit, a bit higgledy-piggledy. But I think we all do that. We all do versions of that. You know, it's no bad thing. I think what's interesting as well is like if um, society has gaslit you, <laughs> It's amazing how that's going to manifest in your behaviour, you know, because it will come out, you know, but it might just come out in the strangest of ways by e.g. saying you went to Disneyland because maybe you felt like you weren't matching up in other ways, therefore you had to match up in every other way possible type thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a therapist. And actually to be proud of those lies in a way, not lies, whatever they are, is I think I'm, you know, all for it. And, you know, I used to do the strangest shit because... Oh, God, make me, make me feel better because I was honest about pretending I'd been to Disneyland. What did you used to do? I, I mean, I have said them, so many of them on here, so I, it, I'm not being avoidant. I now just can't remember a single one, but it will come to me as I speak. But, you know, it's like, I think that you... I think that you also try, which I think is related to the queer experience, is that you... You kind of think you it will work if you slot into places as a blank canvas. This is what I did anyway. Slot into places as a blank canvas, therefore you'll be most pleasing on all counts. But actually what that means is you sort of have to be like, yeah, that's me too. Yeah, that's me as well. Oh, I'm that too. And then you're just deeply confused. And actually what people love is someone being like, this is me. And yeah. and I'm not afraid of it. And, and I'm proud of it, but I, I you know... Funny word being proud and pride, because I don't know. I don't know if I truly ever feel... I feel like proud is almost too celebratory. It's like, just be yourself. That's yeah. I think that was the mistake I made. I think think discovering myself was about trying things on, when in fact it was actually about taking things off. And I think through my 20s in particular, I tried on lots of phases. I was the club kid phase. I went through the the gym and protein shake phase. That was a look. Um, You know, I, I I tried on lots of costumes and then I realized the best thing I could do was just be honest and say, look, since I was four years old, I wanted to be a girl. Mm. And that is the craziest thing I'm ever going to say, but it feels like I've gone as far as I can without saying it. And I think, I think I really have to, but you're right, because I wouldn't have said that in 1996, because there were no positive role models of trans people for me to look to. I, I barely even knew that normal people from off of Bradford could do that. Because if you did see a trans person, it was kind of presented to you in such a circus that mm. how could a normal person ever identify with something that the media was making into a freak show? Like nobody, I don't think anybody's going to look at a freak show and sort of think, oh yeah, that's me, I get it now, kind of. And, you know, the way that trans women were talked about in the 90s was just wild, so... That uh, there's something about Miriam. <gasps> yes. That TV show, mm-hmm. which was, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a dating show, you know, about all these men trying to date this woman and then revealing uh, literally on a podium at the end that she was trans, right? <laughs> <laughs> And you said, and that actually wasn't that long ago. That was, I believe, no, in I the early noughties. You know, so just feeding every negative stereotype about trans women that we're deceptive, that mm. we are out to trap men for our sexual deviancy, you know. 
and and of course, you know, everyone in that show was exploited. The guys were exploited. Miriam was exploited. You know, it was just unacceptable, really. And we slightly rose tint Nadia's stint on Big Brother as well because she wasn't in the house as trans. And I'll tell you what hasn't aged well is when somebody got voted out of the Big Brother house, Davina was like rocking in her chest saying, guess what I know about Nadia? Guess what I know about Nadia? You know, and it's really, really gleefully revealed that Nadia is transgender. So I think we've slightly glossed over how how celebratory Nadia's inclusion was. Although, of course, she won a public vote by some considerable margin. But, um, yeah, her treatment on that show was kind of garbage, so... That's interesting, yeah, because you forget that detail, don't you? Mm. And what about... I don't know if you feel this, but I feel like often we talk about trans women and sometimes trans men not enough. Um, I mean, there's no such thing as enough. You know, everyone... It's not cake, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) But um, I think we talk to and about trans women loads on this podcast. And sometimes I sit there going, the trans men must be like, hello, because there are specificities. And I know neither of us are trans men, but... You know, I think... think it's a good distinction to make. And I think the key word is trans misogyny, which mm. is the incredible overlap of transphobia I experience and the misogyny I experience mm-hmm. and how you can't really separate the two. You know, the first time I wore a mini skirt in public and I remember where I was, it was Feltham Station. Is that the one near Heathrow? So I was quite early in my transition and I just had a lot of hair extensions put in to kind of hide behind, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing a really boring denim skirt with some tights and some boots. And off I went. I was, I was visiting a school, I think, with work. And as soon as I stepped out of the station, a white van went past and the window went down and a little man's head just popped out and he just went, legs, and continued <laughs> to drive off. Now, it's really difficult to know. We can't know if that man clocked me as a trans woman or whether he just saw a feminine-looking shape in a skirt with long legs walking down the street. But, you know, so, you know, trans women are uniquely vulnerable, I guess, as well, especially if they they date men, if they date Mm -hmm. cisgender men in particular. Because, you know, a lot of men will only date trans women on the DL. So, you know, if you were to log on to any of the dating apps now, there are plenty of married men who are looking to hook up with trans women, which means it's going to be very furtive and it's going to be done in sort of like secretive ways, which of course leaves you at a unique disadvantage. Not all women you know, are at peril from cisgender men, which is the conversation we should be having. You know, mm-hmm. two women are murdered a week. It's nearly always by a romantic partner or a former romantic partner, not a spooky trans woman flying out of a changing room, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, so if, if we're looking at kind of the treatment that trans women receive in society, you know, we we get all the same treatment that cisgender women get and that we can be treated like sex objects. We are infantilized we're we're objectified especially we're exotified as well because we're trans mixed with transphobia so constant stream of people saying you're not a real woman uh you're ugly you look like a man blah 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 you know all those things so we're experiencing those things whereas trans men by and large, probably aren't experiencing misogyny. They're probably not going to be catcalled outside a bar. They're probably not going to get legs out out of a white van, kind of. Mm. Um, But of course, 
it's for a trans man to come on this podcast and explain about the oppression and the transphobia that they do receive. Because yes. I'm sure there are some very unique circumstances in which trans men receive very strange treatment, I'm sure, as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And were you ever on the dating apps and all of that? Oh, I was. Once I was in real danger, you know, I was assaulted and... I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I once wrote about it for a newspaper and got spiked. And I wonder if it's because, again, it doesn't quite fit the narrative, is it? If, if trans women are also being sexually assaulted, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't quite tie in with this narrative that trans women are scary, kind of. And um, yes. it's, oh, it's so difficult because when... I came out, I was really excited because I'd initially assumed that my love life might be done, done for mm-hmm. kind of, in that I wasn't aware that there were there were people who want to date trans people because I'd never done it. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought after a very fruitful 20s in which I'd had lots of boyfriends, that, you know what, it's more important now that you go ahead with your transition it's better to be single and yourself Mm. than it is to be dating these men and pretending to be something that you're not and so I was delighted to discover that there were loads of people who were happy to date trans people and you know I could meet them in real life I could meet them um on apps you know there, there was there was no shortage of people to go on dates with but it was kind of it's funny, I had almost, I got off to the best start in that very quickly, way, very early into my transition. I had this lovely boyfriend, um, he's called Chris, um, oh. and we were together for nearly a year. And I was like, how easy is this? Like, straight out the gate, lovely boyfriend who's got his own house and a little car, lovely. Oh. And then it was just, it was just too soon. I wouldn't recommend getting into a relationship when your whole life is on quicksand, not yes. the one. And uh, like when you're, when your life is changing as rapidly as mine was in 2015, that is not the time to be dating. And yes. so we ended things and I kind of went back onto the apps a few months later when I was ready to start doing some dating again. And by this point, Chris had moved abroad actually. And um, God, what a mess. Just, and perhaps I, do you know, the answer to a lot of all this is this is why trans people need community. Because had I spoken to more trans women, they would have schooled me in the red flags, uh. you know, and the ways, the lengths men will go to, to 
just deceive the women in their lives is wild. And so um, I was meeting a lot of guys who said they were single. They were not. Very often they would give me fake names. You know, they, often they, you know, there was a bunch of kids floating around a house in Surrey somewhere that I wasn't told about, kind of, you know, and every, just everyone was being deceived, you know. Mm. And, and I think now... Now I would know the red flags, you know, you know, when, when people are withholding, but back then I didn't. And basically the, the one that ended in sort of badness was a guy who, again, when I found out he had a fiance, he basically started threatening me to keep me quiet. Like if, like, you know, if you say anything, you know, I know where you live. I know where your dog lives. Kind of really scary stuff. And, you know, and I didn't engage with the police. And I I wish I had done now. I wish Mm. I had kind of. But I was, again, something else you learn when you, when you enter a very marginalized group is that the police might not be on your side. And, and so I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like if I went to the police that I I would be taken seriously kind of yeah and so many people end up doing that taking their own decisions in order to protect themselves in a way that in fact you know inspires a lot of guilt because you should be able to talk to these facilities because you literally pay your taxes um and and yet you can't but then kissing or being led up the garden path by many frogs then you meet your lovely husband yeah, who is a frog, actually? He is, no. He's, he's not. He's too, I will have no slander against the good frog people. Uh, what have frogs ever done to us? No, he's not a frog. He's a very he's a very nice human man. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you had, um, as in he was someone who you'd not got on with at first and then you, you know, kind of fell in love. No, so, well, no, it was, it, it was a weird one. I had just come out of a horrible breakup when I met Max. Um, and so I was, I was in that very specific I hate all of mankind sort of thing and I was just furious because that I'd had to rejoin Tinder I was just I can't believe I'm back here again I'm gonna have to be dealing with these absolute scrouts again and at some point while I'd been dating this other guy Max must have liked me on Tinder or whatever or sent me a message on Tinder and he was just there like in my inbox when I reinstalled Tinder and um That's why just ready, like baked, oven baked. And um, it's funny, so we we had a couple of dates and then I chipped off to Australia and New Zealand for the best part of five weeks. And and I came back and I was just in a different headspace and I was ready to start dating. And and yeah, that was five years ago. So um, we were supposed to marry in 2020, then we had to move it three times. Um, Got it. That was fun. Wouldn't recommend, would not recommend getting married in a pandemic, (laughs) but... That said, the actual day was just the most perfect thing. It was exactly what I wanted. I've seen pictures. Will you just describe it for us? Because it looked unbelievable. So I wanted it, it did take on a double meaning because of everything that we'd been through with lockdowns. It was also supposed to be like a reunion. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I loved Max. I didn't need a wedding to feel secure in the relationship. I knew that we would be together for as long as we wanted to be. But I wanted an amazing party mm-hmm. that sort of said how wonderful that we have found this relationship that makes us happy. Let's have a big party to celebrate that kind of. Um, and that was all I really wanted it to be. And, and because we'd been denied music and dancing and fun and feasting for as long as we had, it did take on that 
double dual meaning kind of. And, and it came, so we married in the July of 2021. In fact, we were the last weekend before national restrictions were lifted. And so we had to have our reception outside, random. I wouldn't have bothered if I'd have known. But um, <laughs> um, but it was amazing. It felt like a little festival. We had the push the button oh, DJs, Rob Holly and Alice Beverly Palmer, um, DJed and they were on this like outside stage at Charleston, the the house where the Bloomsbury Group lived during the First wow. World War. So it was a it's a real centre of queerness is Charleston. If if you can get down to East Sussex, I would highly recommend a trip to Charleston. Yeah. Um, it's very beautiful. It's where Duncan Granite and Vanessa Bell lived. And um, there's a big courtyard now with a stage erected for the literary festival. So they let us use the outside stage. It really did feel like a little tiny, a little tiny version of Mighty Hoopla just for us. Oh, nice. And it was, it was an absolute loving. And it rained all day. And then the second my dad came to pick me up, the sun just burst out and it was oh. fine for the rest of the day. Yeah. Because that would have been, I don't know quite what it would have done if it had rained. I don't know. I know. That's the thing, isn't it? The hijinks. So then how did you two sort of uh, communicate re- how it was going to come together? Was there someone who's controlling? Was there someone who's relaxed? <laughs> Any, anybody who knows me is going to know that there is only one possible answer to this. And it was slightly steered by me. But because I think... I'm the extrovert and he's the introvert for one thing. But in the end, we kind of all got our way because we did the legal bit on the day before and it was literally just us two and our parents and my sister. Mm-hmm. Then the next day I got I got the big party bit. Um, although he had a wonderful time. And, and actually, no, there was a real level of communication throughout. There was, there was mm-hmm. nothing in that wedding that we both hadn't heartily signed up for i think he would have liked them to play some more like metallica or something but that was that was never going to happen was it so. <laughs> no but can so, you imagine just push the button dropping <laughs> dropping a bit yeah so for anyone who doesn't know push the button just to explain who they are so they they did a big party they used to do big parties is that right oh london legends push the button so they yeah. they are i want to say it's the last friday of the month at the rvt in Vauxhall. yeah um their music policy is nothing pre-1990, with very rare occasions, very rare exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, big, strong flavours of sort of Scandi pop. Rob is, a, Rob is a huge Eurovision fan and indeed works for Eurovision now. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really top, top-notch pop music, I think, especially of the sort of the noughties, kind of, lots of Girls Aloud and Britney. And, and that was, so I did a stint in London. I did four years in London and I used to go every single month and just still, still top-tier night out. Yes. And tell me about your dress, because it was Bowie-inspired, right? It was, well... Bowie, well, Bowie, I, I always forget. I mean, David Bowie, love, but it was more about Jennifer Connelly um, in the film Labyrinth. Um, oh. um, it was that big. So if you've seen Labyrinth, you'll know there's the scene where she eats the poison peach and she has mm. this trick, crazy trip where she envisages herself at this weird masquerade ball where she is wearing the most 80s dress of all time ever, like enormous puff ball. Yes. And of course, during the 80s, when I, you know, was assumed to be a little boy, I couldn't really enjoy the things that I wanted to enjoy a lot of the time. Or, or if I did express my taste I was often sort of slapped back and told that's not normal or that's not okay Mm. and so 
as a little child, I just looked at Sarah, the character in Labyrinth, and just was just obsessed with her. I just loved her, you know, and she was so heroic in, in her bringing down of the Goblin King. And so I always had that in mind and it kind of started as a joke because, you know, if I ever get married, I want Spice Girl Bridesmaids and a big Jennifer Connelly ball gown dress. And the nice thing about being trans is you've kind of already shared the most outlandish secret about yourself with the world. So everything else feels like really loose change kind of. And, And so when it came to wedding dress, I was like, well, why not? And I'm very lucky in that I knew through a friend, the amazing designer, Jo Fleming, who makes some of the most extraordinary wedding dresses. And so I sort of went to her with an idea and I said, look, I don't want like a big, crazy 80s dress, like a big sort of Scott and Charlene dress. But like, is, is there like a modern interpretation of this? And actually her modern interpretation was to go very vintage. And actually the dress is kind of based on what they would have worn in Victorian times. Um and that's Jo's whole vibe. So do check out Jo Fleming's website because she's yeah. an extraordinary designer. It's a beautiful. Uh, I must admit, the dress was a wild extravagance, but I'm so pleased I did it. I'm so pleased. And have you ever worn it again? No. I think the little lie that every bride tells themselves, which is I will dye it black and wear it to a cocktail party. No, you won't. Possibly <laughs> I will be buried in it. I think that that's possibly the best <gasps> I solution. Love that is idea. like um because tell you what we could do. My other obsession in the nineties was Sadie Frost in Dracula. So we oh, could yeah. put me in the dress with like a big ruff, a massive ruff around my neck, and then basically I'm Lucy Westenra in her glass coffin. That's sorted. fucking great. Really, and no one's ever said that before, and it's such a good idea. Also, because you'll be lying on your back, so if it's too small for you, you can just let it out of the back. <laughs> probably, of probably won't zip up anymore. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> no one will know. They're not looking. No one will know. Lovely stuff. Thank you, Juno, for taking the time to chat to us. I love that chat. Now, listeners, please get in touch at Homo Sapiens on Instagram at Homo Sapiens Podcast on Facebook and email your comments, questions and those all-important agony uncles to hello at homosapienspodcast.com Another week, another joyous hour spent in all of your company. Thank you so much for listening. That's it from me and the snoring dog. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.